Amen. Amen. Awesome. On the 20th of September at 1.40 p.m., what were you doing? Have a think. So when, it was a Wednesday, two weeks ago, on the 20th of September. Where were you, where you're at? Have a think. Maybe it's too far. You can't remember what you had for breakfast. It's okay. You can just pretend you're thinking right now. But regardless of wherever you were, I want to let you know where I was. I was in hospital and my son, Micah James Thomas, had just been born at 1.40 on the dot. Um, and it was a moment of mixed emotions of always, obviously ecstasy, joy. We didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. I felt like it was going to be a boy, so I was ready to be surprised if it was a girl. But uh, as you know, boys are pretty obvious to see when the boys, and they lift him up, I'm like, he's a boy, come on. Um, and then the joy of being there, cutting the cord, and, and just being in that moment was special. And it's kind of like this weird thing, similar to a wedding, you plan and you plan. And then after all this planning, some plan weddings for years, for us planning for this baby, it was nine months of planning, nine months of praying, nine months of preparing. Um, and then suddenly he arrives. And why am I talking like this? Is because for nine months we prepared for this coming child. We prayed prayers. Um, we, we even got his room ready or right now I live in my mum's house so we got a section of my daughter's room ready got the cot, all the clothes my wife made me go downstairs under the house with all the spiders and the cobwebs and she's got all these big tubs and I had to vacuum sealed bags of all my son's onesies and all this I had to do all that, it was fun I had to bend over like this, the roof's only here so multiple times, if I came out which I did many times, she'd be like, oh you forgot this I'd be like, oh glory, going in again I got PVC pipes on my back, uh, going in again. Um, and anyway, we got his room ready. We've been preparing, yeah? Preparing, preparing. And although I would talk to him in the womb and all that, but you don't get much back, you know, if you've tried that. Um, but when he was here, I was like, finally, everything we had prepared for, yeah, now he could now be received into. Everything that we had prepared for, yeah, he could now accept. And we had been preparing for his coming. We had been preparing. And now, thankfully, both my wife and him are at home in the prepared place that we have prepared, resting and just recovering. Amen. And I'm talking like this because just like I prepared for nine months for the coming of my son, God wants us to prepare our hearts. He wants us to prepare our lives. He wants us to prepare a place for him to come. Jesus wants space in your life. He doesn't want to just be a belief, an idea. He wants us to carve out time, space, energy, our hearts for a surrender so that when He comes, there's room for Him. Yeah, you know the story of His birth. Jesus was meant to be birthed, but there was no room in the inn. And everywhere they knocked, they knocked on all sorts of doors. Hey, have you got room? Sorry, no room. Hey, my wife's about to give birth. Mary, she's, she's literally about to give birth. Please, come on, just a room, a little laundry, anything. Sorry, no room. And every door they knocked on, no one had room for the Messiah to be born. So he was ended up being born in a manger, dirty, broken. It's like a, a glorified garage of our modern day. It's where the donkeys were, the cattle were, the sheep were. And the Messiah was born in the one place that was prepared for him. One place that would say, you can rest here, Jesus. 
Amen. And, and the beauty of it is that you don't have to be perfect this morning to become a resting place for God. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to be pristine. You don't have to have a good heritage. Uh, you don't have to come from a successful family or a Christian family. You don't have to be killing it at your scripture references. You don't have to be killing it at a life group, popping up your hand, prayer request, pray for this, I witness to this, sharing Jesus confidently, that. No. You don't have to be having anything right, nothing glorious, nothing going well for you. But all you need to do is have a heart that says, I'm open and I will create a space. I will move out things. I will shift things for you to rest on me, for you to rest in me, for me, for, for my life, for my body to be the resting place of God. And this resting place this morning that we're talking about, I've called it Bethany. And why Bethany? I'm going to quickly explain why Bethany, what is Bethany, what's it represent, how do we become a Bethany, and why we should become a Bethany. Amen? Because if we want to become a resting place for God, we've got to understand what Bethany is and, was it, and what it was, because it was a place where Jesus rested. Turn to someone and say, Bethany means a place where Jesus rested. So Bethany was a humble town in Judea about two miles east of Jerusalem. They call it like a Sabbath day's walk. Um, it was mentioned 11 times in Scripture. Some say 13 times, depending um, on, on the different translations and Bibles that they have, or books in the Bible they include. But this little obscure village that was nestled on the Mount of Olives would have been long forgotten if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus um, constantly, Jesus often, rested there. He resided there. It was the resting place of Jesus Christ. Bethany will forever be honored and remembered through the coming ages because of its humble homes that were opened to shelter and to show hospitality to Jesus, our King. Bethany was a place that he could lay his head. Although he did ministry in Jerusalem, but there were people there that wanted to kill him, they hated him. Although he ministered there, but he would be ministered to at Bethany. He would minister in Jerusalem, but then he would go to Bethany where his friends Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Simon the leper, the multiple places that he went to, and he would receive replenishment. Jesus would feel safe, not in Jerusalem at night. Most nights he would come. When he was in Jerusalem, he would sleep in Bethany. Jesus was repeatedly honored in Bethany, whether it was at the home of Mary and Martha or Simon the leper, but Bethany naturally became the preferred dwelling place of our Lord. And the fact that he consistently went there means it should show special interest for you and I. Yeah, we should be. What was it about Bethany? Because if we want God to rest on us, if we want to see a mighty revival and revival in us, then become this reformation, this 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 move of God that changes a city and nation, the world. Then we have to ultimately learn what Bethany learned. That if you want Jesus to come, if you want Him to rest, and not just for a visitation on a Sunday service. Not just to have Jesus visit you at once a week or twice a week maybe, but for Jesus to move from a visitation to now a habitation. From Jesus to move from just Him, you being like a hotel where Jesus will come and visit, from you now becoming a home where Jesus will come and stay. In order to go from a hotel to a home for Jesus, then we must become a Bethany. We must become a resting place for God. Turn to someone and say, make me a Bethany. And you see, God has long, long longed for a Bethany. God has always desired to rest with mankind. Yeah? Genesis 1 verse 1 to 3. Let me read you this. 
in the first pages of the Bible. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Some Bibles say void. It was dark. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering or brooding or resting over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. So from the beginning of the, of the biblical story, we've got God, His Spirit, which is Himself, resting over creation. And then because He was resting, He was anticipating. He's like, I want to rest here. I want to be here. So then God said, hey, let me speak. Let there be light. And everything that follows, which I won't go into for the sake of time, He puts trees and plants and animals and He creates the perfect environment. And then on the seventh day, He says, now let us make man in our image. And He makes mankind and they have this perfect relationship where heaven and earth now mix they're like they're in agreement the place of Eden was like a place of harmony heaven and earth were together but when mankind decided to you know what we want to reject God we want to be gods unto ourselves we don't want to follow your paradigm or your definition of right and wrong we want to define things on our own we want wisdom in our own terms we want autonomy from you the moment that happened heaven and earth were now split and Eden, as we know it, was broken. So that's why there's death in the world. That's why we decay. That's why we die. We were never meant to die. We are meant to eat of this, some of the fruit in that garden and live for eternity. All the wrong, all the things that we see in this world that still kill and destroy, they all originate from that moment. That, that was the origin moment of everything bad or evil that we see in this world. And essentially, from that moment on, God was working. It's like, I still want to rest for my people. So then He would rest with different people through law, through tabernacles, through these structures. He would rest on certain activities. He would rest on places and things and maybe a person for a short time. But because of this thing called sin, because of that the same root, the same seed that Adam and Eve decided to do, it's like every person born after them had this same desire in us to have autonomy from God. I want to be God. I want to be God. And I'm learning now, even in my young son, Micah, he's already yelling. He doesn't want to do exactly what I want him to do. So we're all born with the desire to say, no, no one has to teach you how to lie, cheat, or say, no, you naturally are programmed that way. Yeah? And your parents are saying, don't share. Stop hitting your sister with the toy, Isaiah. I'm not constantly saying that. Yeah, I'm trying to reprogram him from doing hurtful things to good things. Why? Because we're all born with this innate nature to rebel push against rules, push against authority, being a God, our parents, school, government, etc. Yeah, we see society is always wanting that. So we shouldn't be shocked. Anyone who doesn't have Jesus, who hasn't been born again, is going to want to resent authority to some degree or other. It's in our nature. Yeah. So essentially from this point in time, God's been resting with people. But there were a few special men and women who understood the resting place of God or God's desire for it. Yeah few men, a few women, they knew that God wants to rest. He wants to be with us. He actually wants us. And one of the greatest ones, I mentioned it before, is David. David knew that God wants to rest with his people. And David had this desire. He said, you know what, God, I want to build you a house so you can dwell. I'm sick of your presence being in a little shanty uh, tent that Moses built. Love you, Moses. Salute you, Moses. But you didn't build the greatest place, okay? Now, Moses was obedient. He built the tent as God desired. But David said, God, I want to build you a house. And the moment David said this to God, God was so moved. He actually says, no one has ever offered to build me a house. So, you know what? I'm not going to let you build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. 
And what he was meaning is that because your desire is to create a space for me to rest, it so moves me that I'm now going to build a covenant with you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And now my, my resting place will be in your bloodline. That from you, David, my son Jesus will come. And it's through the line of David that Jesus came. Why? Because David had a heart to, for God to rest. He actually says this, and this is in Psalm 132, verse 1 to 5. Lord, remember David. This is someone writing of David and all his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord and he made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. Yeah, now this is poetic language. He did sleep because it took, he didn't build the house. It took his son Solomon to build it. But this is poetically telling us the desire of David that I don't want to rest. I don't want to just go on with life. I can't rest until you rest. I need God. I need you to have a resting place. This was his desire. And this was only possible because yeah, God said, you know what? You have plugged into my original intent, my original design for mankind is to rest with you. And from David, we see people come, people come, and eventually Jesus comes. Jesus comes. Finally, He comes. The root yeah, of Jesse, the one from David. David. Jesus now sits on the throne of David. Yeah, He sits on the throne of David because David, now every time God said, every time you praise me, David, I'm going to come. I'll rest. I'll rest on your praises. And now Jesus sits on the throne of David because David praised so much, He created an altar and a throne for Jesus to sit on top. It's amazing. But this morning, I want to say that because Jesus came, no longer would God rest on a place or a thing because He loves us and He died on a cross and He took the punishment of your sin and my sin. He made a way so that now the sin issue, the thing that separated us from God, the thing that was like a wedge, the thing that was a barrier, the thing that was a wall, the everything in me and in you that stopped us from being able to rest with God and have God rest on us has now been obliterated. It's been conquered. It's been fulfilled. It's been destroyed. And when Jesus was on the cross, looking like he was being defeated, looking like he had lost, he actually said the war cry of the victor, which is, it is finished. And I think the devil, the enemy, everyone was so confused. Why? What do you mean it's finished? You're finished. But he was like, no, no, it is finished. My mission is complete. My mission was to restore orphans to a father. My mission was to restore sinful, broken people to a holy Father God. And because of Jesus now, we can all be justified. Through Jesus and His love for you, His cross for you, you can be washed from your sin, the power of sin on your life, which means the addictions, the spirits, the things in you that control you and suffocate you, you can be free from that this morning because of Jesus and not only that but you can be now changed by the presence of God yeah we're freed from the penalty of sin the price of sin's been paid for the power of sin's been broken and even the presence of sin in the world is not stronger than the presence of God that comes in us through the Holy Spirit Jesus made the way so now God's Holy Spirit can come and rest in us be with us but also rest on us also rest on us and it's amazing this is a great privilege and I wanted just to say here, if you don't know Jesus, the privilege is that you get to be one with God. You can be one with the Heavenly Father. You can be one with the Creator of the universe. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. And He now wants to rest on us. And Bethany was like a physical place where Jesus rested. 
And now God is saying, I want to rest in you how Jesus rested in Bethany. Are you with me? Make us a Bethany. What's it mean? It's like just how Jesus rested in this place called Bethany. God wants to rest in you. Let me just read you a few things. In Bethany, Jesus was welcomed. He was made to feel safe. He was honored. He was worshipped and adored by Mary as she sat at his feet while Martha was making sandwiches and was really peed off about it. In John chapter 12, a bit later on, Mary is washing Jesus' feet. Where? At Bethany again with the fragrance, costly offering, pouring it out on his feet and worshipping him unashamedly, ripping off the fear of man. What will the disciples say? What will the Pharisees say? What will people think of me? She said, I don't care. I'm going to be unashamed and unabandoned in my offering to God. And she worshipped the Savior. In chapter 11, it's at Bethany that Lazarus is resurrected. Yeah, The power of God through faith is prepared in Bethany. Bethany was the place where his last preparations for the last Passover, communion, you know, we, where he did his communion, what we did today, that, that came from Bethany. The, the house, the, the preparations that came from Bethany. Bethany was the place where Jesus ascended to the Father from. He took the disciples out of Jerusalem, back to Bethany, the place where he felt safe. And he said, guys, he commissioned them, go into all the world, make disciples. And then he ascended up. He went into the clouds and they said, wow. And the angel said, what are you waiting here for? Go, go in Jerusalem and wait for him to come. Bethany was the place where every night on the final week of his life, he slept. He would preach in Jerusalem, but then he would sleep at Bethany. Every single night of that week that he would be killed and tortured, he slept at Bethany. Bethany is a place where it says that one day he will return on the Mount of Olives, which is in Bethany. So he ascended in Bethany. He's coming back one day in Bethany. Why all this Bethany? Because Bethany represents a place where he felt safe, where he was honored, where he was welcomed. You might already know this because you've heard me say it before, but he comes wherever he's welcomed. Jerusalem didn't want him. They had no room for him. They didn't have a theology for him. They were like, they were confused by him. But Bethany was a place where he was welcomed, where he was honored. His own town in Nazareth, they said, who are you? You're You're Joseph's kid. You're not welcome here wasn't welcome there was not he didn't rest there where did he rest in bethany making when we say make me a bethany we're saying god make me a home make me your resting place i don't want to just be a hotel where i come into church on a sunday i I encounter you and then you leave and we're separate again no no god wants us to be a home a john 15 kind of home where he says remain in me and i in you remain abide 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 what's he saying be a bethany Be a Bethany, be a Bethany so I can remain with you. So now that we know what it means to be a Bethany, a resting place for God, how do we become a Bethany? The very name Bethany in its meaning alludes to why I believe one of the reasons why he rested in Bethany. The name either means place of figs, which we're going to forget that, place of figs because there's a lot of figs, but it also means a house of mourning or poverty. Those who were sick, those who were who had leprosy, those who were unfit to be in the city of Jerusalem had to stay outside in Bethany. Yeah? It's where the mourning happened, the sickness. And he chose to stay in a place of brokenness. Bethany means it represents spiritual poverty, spiritual brokenness. It represents a place of humility. Jesus rested in this place. Why? Because what's the Bible say? He said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Bethany represents a place of humility. It represents a space where someone says, come, come. God actually resists the proud. He resisted the proud in Jerusalem and said, I'm going to go rest in Bethany. He could have been, who knows, King Herod would have given him a room. Different Pharisees might have given him a nice space. He's like, I don't want to be here. I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. The sick people, Mary, Martha, I want to go there because they honor me. They know who I am and I will rest there. What's this mean for you and me? It means that we've got to prepare. We've got to be humble. We've got to not be proud. proud. We've got to resist pride. We've got to not be too busy. We actually have to carve out space for God in our lives. Just like, yeah, my son Michael came, like I said, I had to go under the house. I had to go and iron all sorts of little clothes that shouldn't even be cold clothes. They're so small. Little onesies. Get all that ready. Put the baby seat in. Then I put the baby seat on this side. She's like, I don't like it on that side. I want it on this side. Put it on this side. Then she's like, that's the wrong side. I put it back on this side. Belts and buckles. Oh. And we want four kids. So I'm like, come on, Lord, just one more time. I'm going to do this. You're going to do this one more time. But it cost me time, energy. And now he's coming and we've created space for him and sleep. Yeah? Sleep. Is, the, is, that, is that luxury that when it's now eluding us. But, but you know what? It's all worth it because we have said we're going to prepare a place for Him. We want to prepare a place for Him, yeah? And this morning, I'm saying it's going to cost you to become a resting place for God. Like it's cost us time, money, and energy to create a space for baby Micah, it's going to cost us to create a space for Jesus to rest on us. Yes, Jesus set you free. Yes, He's in your heart. Yes, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you. But if you want to be a resting place for God where He rests on you, then it's going to cost something from you. It's going to cost your obedience. We're not earning it. We're not striving for it. Yeah, it's not work-based. Please hear me out. Jesus and Jesus alone makes you worthy to be a resting place. But in order for me to be a resting place, I must open the door. Just like Jesus, Joseph knocked on the door, said, will you let me come in and birth Jesus? They said, sorry, we're full. We've got no room. I'm sure they said, we are so happy for you. We want to celebrate the birth of your child, Joey, Joseph, Mary. Good on you. But we've got no space. Sometimes we as believers, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful to God. But we actually got no space for Him to rest. And my, my encouragement today is, as much as it's a privilege, it's also a responsibility. God does not just want to be in your heart. He wants to be over every part of your life. He wants to rest on you. He wants you to be the walking tabernacle of God now. He doesn't want to rest on a tent in this place. You're the resting place of God, church. Hear me this morning. Someone needs to hear this. God has died on the cross and He can rest on you. It's a privilege. It's amazing. But it also comes at a cost to me and a cost to you. It requires our surrender. It requires our surrender. And over this time where I've been, um, I guess, spending time with the Lord, He's been showing me, hey, if you want me to rest on you, Neil, you're going to have to put aside the fear of man. You're going to have to stop caring about what people think. He revealed to me that, you know what? So often I put my, my light under a box or, or my, yeah, my light. I always say this wrong. But I, you know what I'm talking about, that great verse that I, it'll lose me every time. Someone help me out here. Yes, don't put it under a basket, not a box. Don't put your light under a basket, he says. So often in circles, particularly with other Christians, I'll put my light, not, not to unsaved people, great in evangelism but when it comes to other Christians I feel bad that I will shine too bright so I'll put it under a basket I'll, when someone says how are you doing I'll just say yeah okay when things are actually great 
been hearing words of knowledge, been seeing visions, been having dreams. And I'll just, I'll temper it down. I'll temper it down because I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be that Jesus freak. And God's saying, hey, you've got to be willing to, who cares what your brothers in Nazareth say about you? I've called you. I've called you to know me. I want to rest on you. So you've got to take me out of the basket. Don't put me under the basket. Don't put me under the basket. It's costing me, yeah? And he's been speaking to me. And I believe this morning he's going to speak to you. Maybe here or maybe as you leave. But there's things that is going to require your obedience for you to become a resting place with him. Amen? Because he wants to rest on us. And I think too many Christians have the Holy Spirit in them, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have us. Too often in my life, I'm walking around full of God, but God is not possessing me. So that means I have the Holy Spirit in me, but He yeah, doesn't have me yet. Yeah, you've seen this analogy. If I drink this water, this water, I'm, it's in my body. I'm carrying this water. But there is a lot of difference between me jumping in a pool of water or jumping in the ocean or jumping in a river. The moment I jump in that river, the water has me. But when I just have a drink, I have the water, but the water doesn't have me yet. And when we receive God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. And it's awesome. It's a gift of salvation. It's amazing. But Jesus didn't just die so we can have a ticket to heaven. He died so that heaven could come and rest on us. And that requires me to lift my feet and jump into the river. The river represents the flow of the Spirit. The river represents letting go of control. Letting go of the fear of man. Stop watching that show. Stop saying that things. Start reading this. Start saying this. On the, on this time of my, uh, in this time with me and the Lord, He told me I need to start changing the way I think of even about myself. I have to put on some new ways of believing, some new ways of thinking. It requires me to prepare for Him to come. And in the same way that I've had to prepare for Him to come for my own life, the same way I've had to prepare for Him to come for Micah, I'm saying today, what do you need to prepare for Him to come? Because He will not force Himself in. Joseph and Mary did not kick down the, the wall of the inn and say, we're coming in. We're having birth on the floor, in the, in the pantry, in the living room. No, they knocked and they knocked and they knocked. And they, only, they went into the place that welcomed them, which was only a stable. This morning, maybe you're like, I'm not great. I'm not, that's okay, as long as you're a stable. If you're a stable, that, that represents we all are included. All of us, we're all under construction. We're all growing. No one here is perfect, but He is perfect. And He wants to come and rest on you. And imperfection meets perfection. It's just a godly formula for success. But we get to be the resting places for God. And I guess I'm going to ask us to stand. And again, like I said, we're not going to wait long. The band are just going to come up and sing. And they're going to start by just singing, Come Lord Jesus, come. And as they sing this, we're going to just sing this as a prayer. But maybe you're hearing this message. And I, I really sense there are a few of maybe these people here. And you're like, you know what? Right now I'm full. Where I'm at is good. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. And I don't know if I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me in that. I don't know if I want Him to rest on me. I'm just, I want to work. I want to be a good Christian. I want to raise my family godly. And, you know, and that's great. But I'm saying, not only is it a privilege, but it's also a responsibility to be a resting place. Do you know what happens when, when people who don't know Jesus meet someone who's not having God rest on them? They will meet a person who talks about a faith, who talks about a God, who talks about a Jesus, but they don't actually meet that Jesus in that person. How many Christians, and we've all been there, I've been there myself, where I will talk about my Savior, but people don't meet the Savior when they meet me. And I'm there trying to like chicken win people. You've got to believe in Him. He's amazing. You know what? If God was just resting on me, 
and His presence was, I was carrying the presence of God, then they would see Jesus when they saw me. And there's no arguments necessary. There's no elbow, chicken wing, there's no manipulation needed. And the issue is that you don't just need God to rest on you for you. You need God to rest on you for others. So if you selfishly, hear me out before you clap, if you selfishly right now think you're full, and I say the word selfishly not as a way to criticize, but to nudge you a little bit. If you think I'm full enough, I'm saying you're not full enough. There's always more. And the people around you in your workplace, your unsaved brother, your unsaved sister, your unsaved roommate, your unsaved neighbor, they need God to rest on you so that when they meet you, they will meet Him. You see, the Holy Spirit is in me for me, but He is upon me for you. He comes in me for me, but He is upon me for others. So God wants to come upon us for others. So it's not about, we've got to stop thinking about ourselves here and say, God, I just want to be a resting place for you because it's not about me. It's about you. And whatever you want me, whatever it's going to cost me to become a resting place for you and for others, then I'll say yes. I'll say yes. I'll say yes. And like I said before, whatever it's going to cost, maybe today we need to repent of whatever, make a change and we need to surrender. And then we just need to obey. Three things, repent, surrender, obey. Make a change. Just give your surrender to Jesus and then obey whatever the Holy Spirit needs you to do to be the resting place of God. Amen. We'll just sing for a moment and we'll sing, come, Lord Jesus, come.